Welcome to episode number 113 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety, industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about hammer mill fire and explosion safety. We're doing that with Jim Peters, regional manager at Boss Products, LLC. Boss is based at Shirts, Texas, and Jim himself is based at Overland Park, Kansas. Jim, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast today. Yeah, Chris, thanks for having me on. Really excited to have Jim on the show. Um, he has a background in grain science. Uh, he had a, a bachelor from Kansas State University in that. He spent over 40 years in the areas of filtration, dust control, pollution control, and specializes in dust handling systems, including pneumatic conveying, polluting hammer mills, including fire and explosion safety. Uh, we first met back in 2018 at the ISHMI conference in Kansas City, and this stands for if I can remember, International Symposium on Hazards Prevention and Mitigation of Industrial Explosions. Uh, that is the maybe the world's longest uh, acronym for a conference, I'm not sure. But I, I really enjoyed my time with Jim. We got a chance to talk. I was you know, really inspired by his experience and his passion for these industries, and also his knowledge on a wealth of topics. More recently, Jim and myself have been talking about challenges with hammer mill systems, in particular fires, explosions in the hammer mill system, explosions within the other piece of equipment or, or propagating other piece of equipment that the hammer mill is connected to. And this really led to, well, let's get on the podcast and talk through what some of these challenges are for uh, hammer mill fire and explosion safety. So in this interview, we're going to talk about Jim's role in industries handling combustible dust, about what is a hammer mill, what are some of the different kinds of configurations that you might typically see, and what are some of the challenges and, and some of the solutions to fire and explosion protection and prevention in these systems. So the transcripts for this episode, as always, you can download those at dustsafetyscience.com slash 113, the episode number. And to jump right in, I guess, Jim, can you tell us a bit about your your background and what is your current role with industries handling combustible dust? Yeah, sure. It's a little bit embarrassing if you add all these up. It makes me sound like I'm about 110 years old. I, I really, I started in a, a family business in construction. And from there, moved in into a small mill uh, where I was in maintenance and then moved up in, into shift milling, which is what got me into the grain business in central Kansas. I was told I would either go back to school or be fired. Yeah, so I went back to Kansas State and got my bachelor's in grain science and operations and engineering. And um, from there, worked for a large corporation, one of the big corporations in milling as a mill management trainee and then in their engine department. From there to um, an international company that designed and built flour mills and feed mills. And that led to um, branching out. I designed a lot of pneumatic systems and dust collection systems for, for flour mills, uh, led into the, actually into the dust collection business. Since uh, the year about 1990, I've worked for companies that have done pneumatic conveying, uh, dust collection, rotary dryers, feeders, ductwork, and system design, and then into energy management and, and safety systems. For Boss, I handle the central states, which is everything basically in the middle from Texas on up through Canada. Uh, I specialize in, in, in work with the other managers and with the engineering specifically in grain and grain dust and food applications. So that's where I am now. Yeah. And one thing that I really appreciate, and you can tell when, you know, when we had our conversations early days and then even more recently, 
is because you have such a background in the operations side, in the you know, in, in the engineering side, in maintenance, in management of actual mills and operations, before moving into you know more consulting roles, more roles, pneumatic conveying, dust collection, and and equipment, you just have a wealth of knowledge to draw on. I asked you, you know, what is the challenge with hammer mills? You started rattling off because of your experience, a whole whack of them. I was like, whoa, 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 Jim, we got to, we got to get you on the podcast here and record this, this interview. That's why we, we kind of got to this point today. So I guess to start, just, I want to say thank you for coming on. I, I do really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to, to going through this topic with you. No problem. So I guess just kind of starting at the start, most of the folks listening to this would probably be aware in a maybe in a very specific sense or in a general sense, what a hammer mill is. But if you had this, you know, from the basics, explain it, what, what is a hammer mill? And then what would be the components of a, a typical system? When you see industrial applications, you'll find out there are a lot of things that actually qualify technically as being hammer mills by definition, I guess, because of my background and, and because of the, the area I'm in, I mostly will be concerned with ones typically found in grinding grain and, and um, other lighter and more fibrous applica- fibrous materials. Basically, a hammer is uh, it's a size reduction system, and it's not a discriminate, discriminating system. It grinds everything to um, a maximum of, of a certain size. Everything 100% has to go through the mill. So everything gets ground down to that size. You introduce the particles that to be ground into smaller particles into the grinding zone uh, where they're impacted repeatedly until they pass the, through a screen or a, a perforated mesh screen or a perforated plate. The particle size obviously is determined then by the hammer or by the screen opening. Uh, the particle size distribution is determined by the tip speed of the hammers and the size of the hammers or the configuration. So you can vary how widely the particle size varies from just being almost uh, all of one size down to, um, you know, you have a a complete mix of sizes. Basically, it consists of the rotor, which is a series of hard-tipped swinging plates or hammers, they're called, which rotate inside of this this uh, screen cylinder, uh, which has the, the openings which determine the size. One thing that people need to note, or if you operate operate these things long enough, you realize the hammers in rotating in that cylinder, uh, in effect, create a low efficiency fan that draws air into the inlet and tries to force it out through the discharge and through the holes in the screen. Ahead of the ahead of the grinding zone, there must include uh, safety vi- devices to keep stones and metal from coming into the grinding zone. Uh, they usually use like drop boxes and trash separators, magnetic separators to do that job. And then it goes through some kind of a feeder to keep a, an even flow of feed coming into the grinding zone. Finally. Um, you have to have some kind of a pneumatic or mechanical system for taking the material away in at least as fast as it's being ground uh, so that it doesn't build back up into the grinding zone. One way of doing that are air evacuation systems. You need to have air evacuating the screen so that the, the screen, you have to at least just 
take the displaced air from the fan action, and you also have to add add enough air movement to the system to evacuate the holes in the screen or 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 the plate. Otherwise, you'll you'll lose production and you'll build up material inside the grinding zone. So I got a number of things I kind of want to pull out. So maybe I'll give sort of a summary of, of that because I, I drew, a, say, a nice picture, but uh, it's nice to me, I suppose. <laughs> Somebody else might not think it's that nice. But we have a we have a chamber that houses the actual mill itself, and that can be a uh, classical hammer mill, we'll say, has sort of plates on, and the plates are the strengthened-tipped hammers that kind of chew through the material. There's a screen on the, the bottom side, and that screen governs how small the material that's going to end up coming out of the hammer mill is generally have a hopper on top that you have material that's feeding into it and you want to try to feed into that at a steady rate and the same sort of thing you want to be pulling material out at a steady rate you mentioned two key things that i guess if i thought about it hard enough i, I would you know kind of conservation of mass would would require this but i it's not immediately obvious and one is that all the material that goes into the hammer mill needs to come out through those screens and if it's not coming out at the same rate that the the materials coming in, then you're going to get back up in the mill. Uh, and then the other thing that's maybe not that obvious is that the air that's getting kind of moved through the hammers, that's pulling air into the system and you need a way to evacuate that air as well. And I think some of the challenges that we're going to be talking about do revolve around this kind of material that comes in and the air that comes in also needs a place to go. So I want to kind of highlight those two points. You mentioned the grinding zone a couple of times. Is that a specific area within the mill, or, or is that just sort of a general, you know, concept? What is that? The the screen is usually either teardrop or or as close to a full cylinder as they can get. Then the rotor moves inside of there. the The hammers. It's almost hard to, to explain if you if you don't have a picture in front of you. But the hammers are on a cross. Uh, the rotor has usually four pivot points or cross, there's a cross and the hammers swing from there, but it moves at such a high, high rate that they basically are extended perpendicular from the shaft on the inside. The tip speed, there's a close tolerance between the screen and the, and the hammers. So when you introduce material into there, it's thrown out centrifugally and it's just impacted the hammers and the screen and it's literally uh, forced by that airflow. When it gets small enough, it it goes through the the openings. If it's not small enough, it'll be impacted over and over until it is. It's a really indiscriminate kind of grinding compared to a lot of you know, like a roller mill or uh, I guess a roller mill is a good example of one that isn't where you can determine the the particle size and the and you can grind or or roll or you know do the flake or different things. But a hammer mill just a hammer mill basically is going to reduce everything to a certain maximum size, and that's it. Probably is worth mentioning what those other types of mills are. If somebody's thinking, "Well, do I have a hammer mill in my facility, or do I have?" I mean, we have we have hammer mills, roller mills. So this would be what would it be? Two? I can't think of the right word, but two rollers where the the material goes through them, and they're kind of grinding between the rollers. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's typically there's two, and this is an old. T- technology, hundred and probably 150 year old technology that's still in use in every mill, every flour mill in the world, basically, uh, where they have steel rolls that are uh, anywhere from eight or 10 inch diameter up to 
you know, quite large, depending on the operation, maybe 24 or, or larger, uh, where they they can run at a differential to each other and and make a grinding effect with different corrugations or knives cut into the the surfaces, or they can be smooth and and do a, a grind and they can run at a at a one to one ratio and just like you know, imagine uh, rolled oats for example are usually done with a with a roller mill where you take a tempered oat and run it through and it just basically it doesn't grind it it, it flattens it. So you have everything in between that and running at a high differential and and grinding, uh, but but there's quite a bit of specialized grinding or rolling that you can do with something like that. Where a hammer mill is pretty much, it's a it's a sledgehammer, yeah, basically. It's a bunch of sledgehammers. <laughs> yeah, it's a bunch of sledgehammers. Um, it it's also I think one of the things that everybody that's operated a mill or you know done maintenance on it it's they're usually placed in in an area where nobody wants to go they're extremely loud they're extremely they're extremely dirty uh, there's a lot of dust associated with the operation because you're bringing a lot of times what you're bringing in to grind is has a, quite a bit of trash and dirt in, involved in it and it can be really really an un, unattractive place to go uh, when you're making your rounds on the mill it's like you, you want to know the the basic places, the the basic safety points, and check them frequently. Make sure nothing has gone gone awry, and and uh, you know. But you don't want to you don't want to linger there. They're very noisy. You you mentioned those uh, the the things that associated with the air systems, and that is really where the the risk for explosion and fire kind of are highlighted. Okay. Well, let's let's. Going to that in a second, actually. So you said the kind of basic safety checkpoints, that might be a good place to kind of start that conversation. What are the, if we don't want to be in the same room as the hammer mill all the time, inspecting it for hours on end, because it's, it's loud and, and that, what are, what are the sort of, sort of basic safety checks that you might be looking for? And then I guess disclaimer, this doesn't cover all of them um, in this conversation. We're just kind of giving some ideas here. No, no. Uh, yeah, no, not at all. The first one that, that you always you always want to make sure there's no tramp metal coming into the the mill itself, and there, there's usually or always a, a magnetic separator. There may be a, a dropout box of some kind, or a you know something to keep. Depending on what the material is, some some things are more pure. If you're grinding, if you're grinding a, a raw grain, for example, this may not be as big a problem. But pieces of metal do drop out, out of out of the system from from time to time or they wear and 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 become part of the material so you want to make sure that you're from a maintenance standpoint make sure those magnetic meters are good you know make sure they're checked periodically for for strength a lot of older mag lose their strength and and aren't effective anymore and you're usually dealing with fairly large streams of material you want to make sure there's no buildup in the in the grinding chamber, that can create heat. That that is a source of fire. You can check on a regular basis. That's really more of a, a design feature. Uh, bearings are make sure that the bearings are not running hot. When when a bearing goes out on a half, remembering this is a lot of hammer mills turn at thirty six hundred RPM and have as you know maybe hundreds of horsepower attached to them. 
So things happen really fast. Uh, bad bearing going out is a source of ignition. It can be a it can be a source of misalignment too. And there's not much tolerance in these things. Then just uh, the sound of it is it out of balance. Is there running properly? And is the the material whatever kind of material discharge you've got is it is it operating freely? Is it is it, if it's an airlift? Is it is it taking it away? Is is there anything blocking the inlet? If it's a plenum, uh, make sure that the hopper is not is not backing up. You've got a proper discharge. Just some just, just some good common sense things, if you know, to start with. Yeah, it makes sense. I, just, I highlight a couple of these. So, fugitive material, you want to keep that out of the mill because um, it's a a potential ignition source. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And metal, a lot of times will will go through and I've heard people say this, uh, it'll go through and if nothing else, uh, it'll, you have a hard time grinding metal in something like this and it will puncture the screen. So at that point, you'll, you'll start seeing material coming through and it can turn into shrapnel. Basically, it can turn the screen into shrapnel. So they're high speed machines and they, they, things happen quickly. Yeah, things can go bad pretty quickly, I'm sure. We talked about buildup in the grinding chamber. That's really kind of a design feature. We talked about the bearings and, and making sure you don't want to run it to, you don't want to run the bearings till failure because of what you're exactly saying. You know, ideally you're replacing them maybe at 80% of their life or 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 less so that you don't have a catastrophic loss of your your equipment and your and the material that goes through. And I think just like on a on a bucket elevator uh, where where it's required by NFPA 61 that you have bearing temperature sensors, good idea on a hammer mill as well. That makes sense. Have you seen those implemented in in facilities that are trying to monitor for these things? Yeah, and they're 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 pretty pretty readily available, and you know monitoring systems for all the all your critical bearings is a really good idea. Okay, I like that. And you you mentioned kind of offhand a small one, but the it's I don't think it is that small necessarily. You know the sound of it, and more importantly, has the sound changed or has the the temperature changed in the room? Or you know, is something different happening? If you're an operator and this is your machine, you'll you'll kind of it's like muscle memory. You'll know how it's running, and one day you'll come in if it's running slightly different. That's a point at which you might want to take a good look and say, "Hey, what is causing that?" I think a lot of mill man and mill operators, a lot of Shift millers and uh, people that have operated feed and flour mills will know know what I'm talking about. When you walk onto the to the roll floor where where the, all the grinding is going on with the roller mills, you can hear and even smell when something's not right. If something's getting hot, you can you can smell it. And if if you you hear something that is make a distinct noise and same with the hammer mill it's really really loud but but you can hear when it's not operating properly and it gets down to that almost an art kind of thing sometimes well that's why i meant that's why i kind of mentioned it because you might shake it off yeah yeah you should always go with your gut and a lot of times you're not there with a big crew of people to, to deal with things so being aware of your surroundings being aware of what's going on with the system is really important Anything else from, I mean, these weren't necessarily all fire and explosion safety challenges, but what other things, what other kind of challenges are, are folks running into with these type of equipment? From a standpoint of, it does go, hammer mills are either, well, basically there's there's two setups for a, a hammer mill discharge. One is a, a pneumatic airlift, um, which is... Um, 
basically that it's a it's, you drop direct, directly from the bottom of the mill into a um, negative dilute uh, convey system that goes up into a, either a cyclone or a cyclone and and pneumatic receiver and um, you know there's there's problems inherent in that you know you need to you need to be watching the pressure drops and the and discharges of all those things you know making sure that you're not backing up into the cyclone or you know have any problems there or the other type of um invasive system is the, the plenum systems where the mill drops into a um an elongated hopper and the mill sits on one end of this hopper and then you draw it the material generally goes from a screw conveyor to the other end, opposite end of the of the grinder, and is discharged out of the screw conveyor through an explosion-proof uh, airlock that isolates the system from from explode, you know, passing the explosion down through the through the material going down into whatever's carrying it away, and then you you draw air off of that system from the other end, and there to you. You know, when you're on a plenum system, it does give you some some leeway as far as if there's a problem ahead of it, you have some some area for it to build up, but not not that much. So those are things to watch. You know, watch watch that the, that the plenum isn't building up material, that the discharges are all operating properly, um, and whatever's upstream from the from the mill and the plenum is is conveying and and doing its job. Just kind of a whole system approach to it. You have to be watching and watching all of it. Yeah, it makes sense. And the two that you mentioned there, the sort of two outlets, I guess. The first one was an airlift, and that would be like a negative or positive, I guess, but a, a pneumatic ducting or or something that, that sucks the material out and through into, say, a cyclone and and then a a, a receiver and, and maybe a dust collector. And that that was sort of type one. We'll say pneumatic conveying, and type two was a plenum system, and this would be more of a mechanical removal of that material away from the bottom of the hammer mill. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, and the airlift, the airlift system, just naturally, the the air required to convey the material is actually more than more than required to um, evacuate the screen for proper operation. So you've got an inlet, uh, an inlet that filtered and um we're, we're putting more and more uh, backblast dampers or flap valves onto inlet so that your material coming in if you, if you do have an event in the mill itself or in the whatever the receiver is that it doesn't come back through the ducting and 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 egg out the out the system through that air inlet and the airlift a lot of people use the airlift, and it's generally, um, and I'm speaking anecdote, I don't have hard numbers on this, but I think generally it's more, it's easier to keep a sanitary system because that plenum is not not an easy place to keep from having, you know, dust build up and material build up. But it's also kind of limited in size by what, by the size of the airlift, you know, so the pipe size kind of dictates how much how much material you can move and by that then how much you can grind so they tend to be a bit smaller and a little bit more sanitary systems 
but a lot less forgiving. Okay. So I got to, does that make it? It does. Yeah. And I got a couple of questions around that, but maybe we'll try to break it out. So I have a number of questions around sort of dust collection and the, the dust. I think that a lot of that's going to come down to, to whether or not you're in an airlift or a plenum system, but maybe let's talk about the kind of fire and explosion protection side first, because you mentioned um, some of it. I want to make sure that we, we covered that. So you mentioned on the feeding side of the hammer mill, uh, so upstream, that it, you want to protect and isolate from explosion that's happening inside the hammer mill from propagating back in through your feed source or back into the, basically back up the line. What other kind of areas, uh, challenges might you run into in terms of fire and explosion protection for the hammer mill system? I think dust collection is going to be a big one, so maybe we'll put that aside and talk about that separately. <laughs> but uh, what, what kind of other challenges and then solutions are you seeing for that? The one that we run into most often are in the plenum systems. The dust collection on the plenum is basically enough air to, um, to draw that, to evacuate the screen. And that dictates, you don't, there's a, or design criteria for keeping that cross section or keeping the, the velocity of the air through the cross section of the plenum so that it doesn't draw material up into the so people try to keep it down. One number I've heard, and I've, I've used lower, is uh, 300 feet. So you, you, you want to draw uh, the air from the far end of the plenum away from the mill. A lot of times they'll put an exhaust point at that, at that point, and they'll draw just enough air to keep, the, to keep the screen evacuated, but not so much that they draw material out. You want everything that you've, you want the product to go down and into the process. That creates a pretty big, a pretty big volume uh, vessel, and you've got to uh, consider that as a vessel, just like you do a, a dust collector or a cyclone. It needs to be explosion vented, and because it's it's basically got all the elements of a what do they call it? the explosion pen, pentagon? It's got all the elements of the explosion pentagon of, right there. You've got. You've got fuel, air, ignition, dispersion, and and confinement. Uh, you've got to to explosion vent the vessel, and you really should have. We we recommend thermal probes for fire and uh, spark detection right below the grinder to to catch sparks coming out. If there's anything coming out, you want to be able to to trigger alarms. If you have a high temperature rise, you need to shut down the system. Uh, if you have an event, you need to stop the airlock, stop the fans, and trigger either a dry cam or deluge or a CO2, some kind of a, of a suppression system. Uh, so you treat it just like you would, basically, or very similar to what you would a, a, a dust collector, you know, with venting and, and suppression. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I was when I was looking at the two... So this is not my area, you know, my, I've seen lots of incidents with hammer mills, but the actual design and the science of how the mills are set up, um, I'm still kind of, uh, you know, learning in that area a bit. So when I first looked at the airlift versus the plenum system, my thought was, okay, well, the, the airlift, you're, you're, you're pneumatically conveying all the material out. Um, so you're going to need some sort of product receiver system. So maybe a cyclone that, you know, dust collection and take the, the fines from that the other side is this plenum system sort of it, it deals with some of that because you're you're only 
kind of transporting the material mechanically. So you don't have to worry about the, we'll say, expensive receiver system. But you actually end up with a bunch of other challenges when you do that, because then you have this big enclosed volume that you need protection on and, and maybe prevention and, and you know temperature sensors and that sort of stuff. But then you still need the dust collection system hooked up a little bit down to avoid transferring that dust to your mechanical system. Yeah, and, and one I guess I should mention also one other one other thing that is used and and we see it quite a bit is uh, instead of just having a, a pickup point, an exhaust pickup point on the plenum, a lot of times they will put a a bin vent with a fan system onto the other end of the plenum, and that creates a whole other set of challenges. You know, you'll have a pulse jet pulsing material back into the into the plenum. It's hard to, you need to explosion vent that as well. It's hard to light that discharge because a lot of times they will have a fan mounted integral on the top of the, of the dust collector. So there's challenges there. The other thing, it's really important that it's with the plenums, especially a lot of times they're mounted very close to, I'll say a, a, a conveyor carrying the material away from the discharge of the airlock or very close to closely mounted or located over the inlet to a bucket elevator. And it's really hard to isolate that. So the airlock becomes the isolation device. And it's really important to have that, you know, don't, don't depend on material. I've seen people try to put, uh, you know, blank flu screw flights onto the end and, and let the material build up over the discharge and let that be the isolation device. And, uh, explosion will go right through that. That's not a that's not a proper isolation. So you need that. You need a an NFPA compliant eight vane uh, certified rotary airlock at that discharge. It's real important. I'm sure you've probably seen cases where there's no where the the plenum sort just drops into a conveyor as well, right? And that's not that's going to have the explode the deflagration propagate right through. Right. And, and then there's, and then it goes, especially I, I've seen a lot of cases where it, it drops straight through and into a bucket elevator. And it's just, that's another, that's another good source of distribution because it'll take it. And it acts a lot like a fan as well. The, the buckets moving, move air as if the, the trunk is a, is a duct and it moves air along with the product and it moves it can move a fire the same way or move an ignition source the same way, take it right on up to the top. And, you know, it can go, I think everybody's seen pictures of where have distributed explosions to the head house of a big grain elevator. It can take the whole thing out. Yeah. And I was, I was looking at some videos last night of hammer mills just to, to um, get an idea of the different systems. And, and yeah, there's some, you know, like a, you know, wood, wood shredders that are, that actually don't have anything on the end. <laughs> they just, they just create sawdust piles and they come with shovels and take the sawdust out. Um, and it's just a cloud of, a cloud of, of sawdust underneath that thing. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, like you're, like you're saying, a piece of metal gets in there and then you, you're going to have a flash fire. I'm sure they have, I'm sure this video I was watching, they've had, I looked for scorch marks around the equipment, but I didn't see any, but it's extremely dangerous looking. <laughs> yeah. And different industries handle that whole situation differently. You know, there, there are industries where you have a fire in the, uh, I've had some experience in an alfalfa pelleting mill one time and they would have a fire in their pellet mill. And instead of everybody getting out of, 
getting out of the building and evacuating, they open it up and pull the embers away and make sure there's nothing burning up above and then they start up again. Like, you know, different industries handle it differently. But we in grain and in things with a real combustible dust hazard nowadays, you you know, you've got to be aware. You've got to be aware of where your where your ignition sources are, where you have that opportunity for a, for it to start, and then what keeps it from happening, what keeps it from from propagating. Another another thing in these um, in both either one of these systems, if you're going to a site and then pulling the fines and the air and the fines through to tagging house, you really compound the issue there. You need to you need to protect the system from between the two as well. If it goes more than what is it, six meters, if it goes more than six meters, you really should have some kind of an isolation valve between because it can double it can double the strength of the explosion between the two and, and propagate both ways. Yeah. And so I I I that was going to be one of my questions was we talked a lot about the plenum system, but what are the challenges with the airlift system? I think that really goes more towards what we've typically talked on the show about dust collections and dust collectors and cyclones um, of having isolation between the piece of equipment. And then a lot of the same things apply, right? Prevention, you want to avoid tramp metal that maybe did make it through the system, uh, getting heat up and into those piece of equipment, proper fire I would say it's pretty likely. I mean, in terms of designing the, you know, in, in university when we when we did the the one or two, well, we had a couple of courses that that involved things around combustible dust because we have a pretty strong presence, um, including my supervisor, uh, Dr. Paul Amiad, and Dr. Michael Pegg, and a few folks. So I guess we were pretty forward thinking in our in our combustible dust safety. Uh, but there's, you know, there's not a lot. But the one thing I do remember is when you talk about the different types of protection containment is one so build it really strong and that's why you always talk about hammer mills you know you, you just build it really strong and, the, and if you're say if you're milling coal or metal you're going to have explosions in there you need to protect from that the build it really strong only gets you so far though because you need to isolate you need to prevent fires from getting upstream downstream proper dust collection design so it's a pretty simplistic view just to say build the thing really strong and and uh, you know i've some i've heard some people nickname the 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 explosions that happen, the hammer mills, all those are just pops or, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if, yeah. we, if we start nicknaming our process safety hazards, then um, that's a good sign that there's, there's something missing in the process safety system. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, perhaps you're missing something. Yeah. Yeah. And these are high speed machines, um, smaller diameter run faster. The, the tip speed is the main thing to determine the, the effectiveness of the grind and depending on how what diameter of mill you use but even the ones that are only running 1800 rpm it's a fast moving machine this stuff happens quick so yeah you can't underestimate it okay so we talked um about in terms of challenges uh talk about isolation downstream isolation upstream from the hammer mill we talked quite a bit about the design of the outlet system whether or not it's a, an airlift which would be a pneumatic conveying process and what you might need there. We talked quite a bit around the plenum system and and what you might need there. And I, I guess one takeaway from that was you probably need more than you would think. Um, I'm sure you talked to a lot of folks that don't at first glance think about protecting that volume that they've created. If they're if they're collecting their if they have the dust collection set on the other side of the plenum, then that, that volume is created there. Um, 
to protect from explosion in that and isolate. Um, what what other kind of challenges are there? I mean, one that comes to mind is just the hammer mill itself. What is there anything that's done to prevent or protect uh, from explosion in the hammer mill? A lot has been done. Built up of material in there. There seems like there's some dead spots in the as far as the air circulating or the air evacuation uh, where material tends to build up and a lot has been done. Some of the, some of the operators will, will cut air ingress into the, into the mill. I think that's probably missing the, missing the point on design. If you're designing a, a mill that withstands a, an explosion, it would probably be better to, put thermal probes in to make sure that you don't have a situation where that material is building up and causing friction and then, and then do a routine check or routine inspection to make sure when you shut down at the end of the end of shifts or end of the week or whenever you have your, your shutdown, make sure that's one of the things you're checking. Now, there, there's some more challenges to be met there. Like you say, they build the hammer mill to withstand quite a bit, but there's just some inherent design things. Make sure the bearing, I think bearing sensors are a good idea. Still seems to me like there's more we can do on the on the inlet isolation. Just just more work to be done. And what systems did you recommend for that inlet isolation? Do, do you, is there a preference between the kind of isolation that might be used? Actually, it's kind of a difficult one. You can use an explosion-proof rotary valve, uh, but you have to have air ingress at that point. So it's really kind of hard to... It's kind of hard to do a good isolation and and still keep that air flowing. It has to come in from somewhere, so that one is hard. That one's more difficult. Yeah, I really need to get a look at the system then and how it's how it's actually set up and what the requirements are in that mill, and compare those out. Any other challenges that we're missing? No, that's plenty, isn't it? <laughs> isn't isn't that enough? <laughs> isn't that enough? <laughs> well, I, I it's it's not. So I got a couple extra questions for you that are away from the 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 kind of technical side. Say we're specking a new hammer mill or we're using an old one. You know, how would an operator come to understand that they they need dust collection and fire protection and exposure prevention from sort of a human factor side? Um, or is it just, you know, if you're listening to this and you run a mill, then you need to be thinking about this. Like what what kind of guide lines should they be looking at or you know what does that process look like yeah i think training on them is is important really knowing how they work what the function of the the mill itself is there's there's a lot of operators that you know you learn how you learn the grind you learn how to make the product that you're learn that you're making but but some of these things you know the hammer mill just looking back at my own experience i don't think i i totally understood what was going on until I had some time with the maintenance crew to dig into it and, you know, and change hammers and, and, you know, look at the inside and see how it works. And then just a training on, on what the explosion of the fire triangle and the explosion Pentagon, what, what that really means and how it relates to what they're operating, you know, and, and then how do the, the safety measures that are in place, how do, how do they play into it? What what's their function, and how do they protect this system? Um, I think that would go a long way. And then just I don't know, you have better better data on this than I do, but just the frequency. You know, these are the areas in the mill that you need to be watching. You know, and and give them a, a sense of where the danger points are, so that you don't just walk by it and and you know, so you really are looking at it with a critical eye. 
uh, look at it with kind of a new a new set of eyes when you when you look at it from a design standpoint too. Don't don't just put a hammer mill in the basement and and drop it straight into the bucket elevator. You know, look at it with a with a design standpoint of safety from the start. I wrote down a couple that that uh, I think probably are good to add to this list. So I have three, but I'll, I'll before I touch on those, I'll, I'll second the design. I mean, we talked a bit about how this can go wrong in this this interview. So if you just if you're just dropping out to a plenum and you have a screw there and, it, and that's just dropping into your conveying system, uh, there there's a lot more a lot less risky ways to do that. And it's about then designing the system, and it's it's not immediately obvious necessarily as well because just like you said, the things like pulling the air through the system, you don't want material to back up. So you got to be thinking about those. So it's about having somebody qualified to to uh, help you design that. And the, so the first point that that leads me to is, you know, you need to do a dust hazard analysis or a, a process hazard analysis on this type of equipment. It has it has all the elements. If you look at NFA six fifty two, you're it's going to say you need a, a DHA, and that's when you would start to pull out what are some of the requirements that you might need and start to do some of the analysis on getting correct design. So that'd be one. Two that I'll add from personal experience from our work with the the incident reporting and the Compostless Incident Database, train your team on what to do when you have a fire. It's going to be the most critical. It's it's not the time for heroes. It's not the time for artistry. <laughs> it's the time to have a plan um, of what to do. And, you know, that's that's a critical one. And it's also a challenging one. But coming up with a plan, what are you going to do when you have a fire that gets into the hopper? What are you going to do when you have fires underneath the machine? When is it? time to call in someone else um we actually want i think um and jim will be the the first to to know this um and it'll probably be more public by the time this interview comes out but i think our keynote on the the first day of the dust safety conference this year in in march of 2021 is going to be all around how to respond to dust fires because we're seeing a lot of operators being being seriously injured and we're seeing a lot of first responders being seriously injured so we're going to start trying to collect those up so that's one and two, if if you are running an unsafe system, as by what we've said today, uh, say you're running that the the hair mill that just shoots out the the sawdust out of the bottom and it's collecting in a pile, your your workers need fire resistant clothing. Now, if I was an idealist, I would say, well, they don't need fire resistant clothing because you should go back and design a system such that it doesn't have those issues. But in the meantime, <laughs> please protect those workers. And I would say if you need to use FRC, then you probably need to look at redesigning the system, but at least get the workers into some some fire-resistant clothing first. Like I said, for that video that I saw last night when I was watching, I was looking for scorch marks. I couldn't see any. I'm sure they've happened. So if you're having fires and, and deflagrations around this equipment, you really need, you know, and the only thing that stopped a worker from not being there is luck, then that's something you need to really be be thinking about. So those are three things. Hazard analysis, um, really critical really important. Be thinking about your response to dust fire. I don't know the answers to that yet, but I'm, I'm trying to ask a lot of questions and we're getting folks to, to look at that and put in administrative controls like FRC as a stopgap to, to to protect the workers in the meantime while we get it figured out. Yeah, I would add to that, uh, the authority having jurisdiction in, in your area is always the final word, but as far as NFPA is concerned, but you should... As the operator, you should know more than, or you should know at least as much as they do about how the system operates. And because a lot of times they don't, 
they don't know the particulars and you should really make sure that that your operators are well informed and have have that don't rely on them and do do have that that hazard analysis done i mean it's going to be required anyway so get it done and find out what your risks really are yeah i think you made me think i had a conversation with diane cave who we've had on the podcast a number of times from element six i can't remember she did it during ask me anything that we did or just conversation her and i had but she says you know sometimes i talk to clients and it's like they hit the lottery they got an aha that doesn't know what combustible dust is and it's like that's totally the wrong attitude (laughs) that's it's totally wrong yeah that's only good until something happens exactly yeah any, I guess, another kind of human factor side, because we do, and I don't know exactly what, you know, what comments you might have on this, and, and it might be something that we can't go into a lot of details, but if you're a, you know, an OEM or equipment installer or manufacturer and you're you're installing these systems in feed mills and flour mills, what kind of things can you be discussing with the owner operator to encourage them to, you know, think about combustible dust and, and think about dusting. I think maybe the first one might be to encourage them to do a DHA would be a good first start. Anything else? Make sure that they understand that you have to have you have to have distances and and access. So many things are shoehorned in, especially older installations and and from my experience in flour mills, you know, when I was doing first got into it, I tried to shoehorn things into, you know, with no, no access or housekeeping. That's another thing we didn't mention here, but housekeeping dust buildup on, on the machine itself. If you have a hot bearing, that, that dusting up on the bearing is a, is an ignition or a, a fuel source to go right along with the ignition source, but make sure that you have distances to, to operate isolation valves. They don't, you can't uh, you can't put an isolation valve right on the machine that it's isolating generally because it doesn't react fast enough. So make sure that you have proper distances and don't. You know, I guess that's one of my pet peeves is is seeing things that are so tight that that they can't they can't actually do all the safety measures that they need to. Explosion vents. If you're inside and you're in a pit area and you want to put a flameless vent onto a it, it has to have a safe zone, and it has to, it can't be right up against a wall or or at back pressures. Uh, just just keep those things in mind. All those things go into the design, and it costs you once to do it right, but then after that, it it can save you a lot of a lot of headache and heartache. Yeah, well, I've, I mean, I've seen cases where because going all the way back to your first point, because these are loud, you know, dirty machines that they'll just enclose them in a room, but the room is put so tight to the to the hammer mill that you can't even you know you can't get in there you wouldn't you know you wouldn't be able to do anything and then and then you have personnel on the other side of that wall that's right yeah. <laughs> so if something does happen then you know you've you've sort of made things worse yeah you've kind of made things worse i've got one we're working on now where there the mill is indoors but the plenum extends to the outside which is okay. And then there's a bin vent on the far end of the plenum, which is good. I think it's a good, I kind of like the design, but it does create new, it does create new problems because now you've got a longer flame link to consider when you, when you go to design the, the explosion panels, you know, just lots of things to consider. You can't think of everything, but give yourself room and, and talk to people who are in the business about what you're going to need and, 
be as 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 informed as your authority having jurisdiction or or more. And yeah, you didn't win the lottery. If you got one that doesn't know what you're doing, you just <laughs> yes. That's maybe the best place to leave off. I yeah, mean, probably. We'll have a way to contact Jim and, and the Boss Prox guys. They're extremely knowledgeable. Like I said earlier, I was impressed with when we first when I first met Jim a number of years ago with his passion, his experience. But I feel like that's really shown in this interview. So he he'd be certainly one to to reach out to and connect with this, you know, with these type of industries. You can also go to dustsafetyprofessionals.com and we can connect you with someone there. Jim, any sort of final words on combustible dust in general? Um, anything that we should close off this episode on? You know, I, I think everybody knows their own business. And, you know, a, a flour miller knows how to how to grind grain. A, a carpenter knows how to build houses. Talk to, talk to people like us or talk to people at your university and, you know, get get our opinion or get, get the, the expert's opinion on, on what you need for safety. You know, don't, you don't, you don't need to know everything about it, but then take their advice. And, and like you were saying, train your people to, uh, how do you respond when there is an event? You know, what, what does it mean? And how do you, how do you react quickly? Who to call, when to call and who to call? I think that's good advice. Yeah, it's not, it's not it's not the time to be a hero. It's not time to be an it's artist. <laughs> Those are the two things I've, right. I've, I've I've. There's probably more categories, of, but it's time. To, it's the time to have a plan. Uh, and that's right. It's time to have a plan and and be able to and and train people to to follow it. I think I think it happens so quickly. There isn't a second. It's not like in the movies where Bruce Willis or Arnold Schwarzenegger can can run away from an explosion and and duck into an alley in the last moment. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, Denzel Washington and uh, that's right. Oh, the Equalizer too. He does the the sugar, sugar dust explosion to to uh, <laughs> take off the enemies. Sorry if I ruined yeah. it for anyone. Yeah, yeah. It's spoiler alert. <laughs> you can look. You can look up the video yeah. there. It's pretty good. That's all five sides of the explosion Pentagon. He uh, yeah. he ends up taking right. out the bad guys with sugar dust. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I've, I appreciate this, Jim. Um, really informative discussion on my end. I'm sure the audience, you know, learned a ton. I actually think there's probably some other aspects of this that we need to pull out. You mentioned fugitive dust, which is you know a, a whole other important area. So there's probably other stuff that we'll have you back on the podcast talk about again in the future. But I want to say thank you for doing this one. Well, thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim, and I'm sure sure we'll be talking soon. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Jim Peters, Regional Manager at Boss Products, LLC. Boss is based out of Shirts, Texas, and Jim himself is based at Overland Park, Kansas. We've been talking about hammer mill, fire, and explosion safety. We really covered a, a whole gamut of this topic. So Jim gave a, a bit of his background, and basically he's been working in these industries for over 40 years, starting with construction, but then moving into milling, mill management, the science, the engineering involved, um, all the way up to, you know, dust collection, pneumatic conveying, and, and what he's doing now with safety systems. So you've seen the whole gambit. We talked about what a hammer mill is in terms of what the configuration looks like. So you have a housing with the mill itself that uh, that is used to grind the material. You have a screen on the bottom side so the material can come out. You have a hopper up top and something that's feeding it. And then on the bottom, you have some way to extract that material that's coming out of the hammer mill. We talked about some of the basic sort of safety checks you can be thinking about here, like without even getting into the engineering design, but fugitive material. So avoiding having, if you're in, this is different if you're, if you're grinding metal, say, but if you're in an industry that you're trying to grind, um, you know, wood or, or, or grain or food product or feed, 
then you're really trying to avoid have tramp metal getting to the machine, getting rocks and things that cause sparks. So you want to look at dropout boxes and, and magnets and things like that. You want to avoid buildup in the grinding chamber. You want to take a look at your bearings. And, and Jim made a good point here. It's probably worthwhile to look at some temperature monitors on your bearings and maybe even some thermal probes at different points around the system to trigger. And that's a great way to, you know, take something that's going to be an incident and turn it into a near miss, you know, where you really capture that before it starts to become a problem. Um, you don't want to be running these type of equipment that runs so fast and things go wrong so quickly to the end of their life um, or their components to the end of their life because you're really walking a fine tightrope there. We talked about things around evacuating air from the system, which is actually a really important aspect of this and cause the, the handrail not to function correctly. Uh, in terms of safety systems, we talked about isolation upstream. So the, the feed side of the machine, you want to isolate from explosion propagating from the hammer mill upstream. Um, but also you want to isolate from explosion propagating downstream. And how you do this is going to depend on what kind of system, what sort of configuration you have. Jim talked about two of them. The first one was an airlift system where materials pneumatically conveyed out. Um, the second was a, a plenum system where there's some, maybe a screw or maybe a vibrating conveyor, something that takes that material away mechanically. And we talked through a bunch of different challenges on the fire and explosion safety with this. I, I don't think we came up with a winner. It really is going to depend on your facility, but you do need to be thinking about this. If you're pneumatically conveying it away, you need a, a way to reclaim that material, reclaim it safely to you know handle the, few, the, the dust that comes off that to avoid explosions in, in downstream equipment. If you are using a, a plenum system, then you, one, need a way to get that air sucked through the machine, but two, a way to deal with the, the dust that then deal with an explosion in the plenum below and also deal with the dust that can go downstream. Um, we talked about a different kind of number of different technologies around that. We talked about a couple different sort of human factors things. So Jim mentioned, you know, training your your staff, getting a look at the, if you're working around these, you really want to have training where they can see inside the equipment or they have a, a really good idea of how they're, how they work, how they're supposed to work. You know, having the correct design, these are heavily engineered systems. So you want to make sure you're using that correctly. And we talked through things like doing a dust hazard analysis, having a plan for responding to dust fires. Um, and, and I mentioned sort of towards the end there, if you don't have that and you do have fires and you do have even open air deflagrations or explosions, you really need to protect those workers as a stopgap. So things like fire resistant clothing, response to fires, um, emergency plans, bring firefighters out so they know how to deal with um, incidents when they happen. Those are all really important. I call them stopgaps because I want other things to happen after that as well, but they're they're important first steps because if you if you don't do that and you wait till you have the the perfect engineered system, then, you know, in the meantime, you can end up with something um, that's not that great happening. Jim closed off with a couple of recommendations around access, making sure you have enough space to do things like isolation, have proper venting, have proper safe distances, have um, access points so you can get in, clean out, inspect the equipment so you can do housekeeping and all those sort of things. And then we sort of closed off the interview, just some you know, closing remarks in general on, on combustible dust safety. So I really appreciated uh, Jim coming on the podcast. I really appreciated the discussion. I hope you found it informative. We'll have a way to contact Jim at dustsafetyscience.com slash 113, so 113. We'll also have the transcripts of this episode there. You can download those again at dustsafetyscience.com slash 113. I want to say I appreciate you listening to the podcast. I hope you have a safe, productive week ahead, and I appreciate everything you're doing in handling combustible dust to make them safer around the world. Thank you.